Hello, my name is David Foster, and today's scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, and chapter 9, verses 17 through 31. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of all the earth. And now, Acts 9, 17 through 31. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the eyes of the Holy Spirit. Instantly something felt like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the man who caused us devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? Didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching him for some day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about the plot. So, during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in the large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived to Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went to all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some of the Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Hey everyone, Pastor Bill here. I'm coming to you from Grant and Peggy Goldstein's house here in Thienesville because they have this beautiful and picturesque front door and it looks just like that. Isn't that beautiful? Now I'm told that nobody is home, so if you'll be quiet and come with me, we can take a tour of the inside of their house. (laughs) No, I'm totally kidding, I'm totally kidding. I'm coming to you from Grant and Peggy's front door today because we're talking about doorbells. There's this company, Ring, that has made lots of money off of their flagship product, which is a video doorbell. And through Ring's video doorbell, they're actually able to extend your presence to your front door even when you're not home. There was a family at my previous church that had a Ring doorbell, and I remember going to their house, ringing the doorbell, and all of a sudden this voice starts talking to me through the doorbell. And the guy is like, yeah, Bill, can you just leave whatever you have for us at the door? We're actually in the cross right now. And I'm like, sure, Mike, and and then he rang off, and and I'm like, that's kind of weird that I'm talking to Mike, and he's four hours away, but here I am at his front door and he's talking to me. I think it's kind of strange. But what Ring has managed to accomplish through their video doorbells is that they've been able to extend people's presence to their front doors even when they're not home. That's how Ring has made their money, through this idea of extended presence specifically to people's front doors even when they're not home. Today we are talking about the idea of extended presence. 
Last week we began a new series called We Are, and with our world being turned upside down, and with the church radically undergoing changes along with much of our culture in the past several months, I've just been running this thought experiment, and the thought experiment goes like this. If I had no prior knowledge of what the church was supposed to be, and all I had was the Bible, what is the church? Who are we? And so I've been doing this thing, and I'd invite you to do it with me, where I've just been turning to the book of Acts, and I've just been reading. If I had no prior knowledge of church, and I read the book of Acts, what would I see? And as I read Acts, I just note the themes. And that's what this series, We Are, has come from. And I invite you along on that journey along with me. We are is the start of a phrase, and so we say, we are dot, dot, dot. And this week, we complete the phrase by saying, we are spirit people. If we picked up the Bible and started reading on page one, we'd read about how God brought the universe into existence over the course of six days, and for six days, God worked to bring everything into existence. Now, how did God do it? Well, he gives us a description in Genesis 1, verses 1 to 2. Let's read Genesis 1, verses 1 to 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. In the second verse of the Bible, we're already introduced to the Holy Spirit. The word spirit in verse 2 is translated breath. It is the Hebrew word ruach, which translates to breath. Now look at Genesis 2 verse 7. Look at the description of God creating the first human being. 2 verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Now think about this. We've all seen a movie or a TV show where someone is pulled out of the water and the lifeguards have to rescue that person or people come upon a friend, a, a body that's just laying there. What's one of the first things that they do? Well, they listen to see if the person is breathing or not. Because if they're breathing, that means they're alive. And if they're not breathing, that means they either need immediate medical attention or that the person is already dead. So God's spirit, the ruach of God, the breath of God, breathes out life and creation is formed. God does the work of breathing creation into existence for six days, but the seventh day is a special day. Let's look at Genesis 2, verse 2. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all of his work. God has just spent six days building the universe, and on the seventh day, God rests because his work of building the universe is complete. But he doesn't just build the universe, he builds the universe as a home for himself. He builds the universe as, we might say, a cosmic temple. A temple is a home for a deity. And God has built the entire cosmos as his temple. When God rests on the seventh day, he is transitioning from the work of building his home to now being able to live in the home that he has built. And he begins living in that home and ruling as the king of the universe from that cosmic temple that he has built for himself. Look at Isaiah 66, and we'll just read the first verse. Isaiah 66, verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? Heaven is the chair from which God rules the universe and the earth is God's ottoman 
in his home that he's built for himself, in this cosmic temple. The universe is God's home. Eric, Danielle, and Hadley Fair are in Morgan and I's house church, and they bought a house, but it's not built yet. <laughs> so right now the fairs are working with the builders to make decisions, choose room configurations and fixtures and paint colors and all sorts of other decisions to be made. There's a lot of work to be done and then eventually they'll actually have to do the work of moving out of their current residence into their new house once it's built. But right now they're going through all the setup work. They're going through all the preparations as the house is built. But eventually once the house is built, they'll move in and when all that work is done, then they can finally come to rest and begin living in their new home. God builds the universe as a cosmic temple, a home that he fills with his presence. So the completed picture of creation is God and humans living together in this cosmic temple home that God has built for himself. And humans are tasked with the job of extending God's presence to the rest of creation. They are to extend his presence, his rule, and his reign all over the globe. But instead of extending God's presence and rule and reign, Humans sin and they rebel against God. And therefore, humans are exiled from God in the Garden of Eden. They are expelled from his presence. And this harmonious arrangement of God and humans living together is disrupted by this wedge of separation between humans and God called sin. But God remains committed to extending his presence to the rest of creation. So he appoints a new people, the nation of Israel, to be the extenders of his reign and presence in the world. And look at Exodus 31. This is going to connect Sabbath and resting for the nation of Israel. It is a permanent sign of my covenant with the people of Israel. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. But on the seventh day he stopped working and was refreshed. So this connects Sabbath with covenant. And the covenant is the promise that God made to Israel that they would be his special people tasked with spreading his reign over this earth. And just like in the Garden of Eden, God establishes his presence amongst his people, Israel, first in the form of the tabernacle that's mobile, that they can move, and then later in the permanent temple in Jerusalem. Now, flash forward to the New Testament and we're introduced to Jesus. And the guy that we'll get to momentarily wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 45. Paul says this, The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. The word spirit in that verse, in the Greek, is the word pneuma, which also means breath. Pneuma is the New Testament equivalent to the Old Testament ruach, and both of them are translated spirit and mean breath. Paul contrasts Adam with Jesus. Adam was made alive when God breathed his ruach into him. But now we have God himself with us as one of us in the person of Jesus. We've moved from the temple as the home for God's presence to Jesus, God himself, with us. And Jesus extends God's presence through his earthly ministry. Wherever he goes and whomever he meets with, Jesus is bringing people that come to him into contact with God himself. And just like God created Adam and Eve to extend his presence, and just like God chose Israel to extend his presence, Jesus chooses disciples to extend God's presence into the world. Let's look at John chapter 20, verse 22. 
Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. We've seen this before. God breathed life into Adam to be the extender of his presence. And now Jesus is breathing his Holy Spirit, his pneuma, into his disciples to be the extenders of God's presence. Now we arrive at the first part of today's reading. Let's look at Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right before Jesus ascends to go back to his Father in heaven, he promises that his Holy Spirit will come upon his followers, and they will become the people who extend God's presence into the world. And in Acts 2, we see that play out. The followers of Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit. There's tongues of fire upon their heads. And here's what's really interesting. While all that is happening, they hear the sound of a rushing wind or a breath. Because God is breathing his pneuma into them. At the beginning of the Bible, God's ruach breathes out to build God's cosmic temple home. And now God's pneuma is breathed into the followers of his son, and they are becoming God's home. Now, rather than having one temple where the presence of God lives, we are all, followers of Jesus, are God's temples. All these spirit people extending God's presence into the world. And so we come to our man Saul. Last week we looked at Saul's background and why he persecuted Christians before meeting Jesus on the Damascus Road. And last week I quoted author N.T. Wright, whose biography on Paul places us in the mind of zealous young Saul, hunting down and persecuting Christians. And here's what N.T. Wright says. Wherever they went, they established groups, little revolutionary cells, and propagated this new teaching putting Jesus in the center of the picture and displacing the ancient Israelite symbols up to and including the temple itself. To young, zealous Saul, this was heresy. That Christians claimed to be temples themselves, little homes of God. Paul had spent his educational years studying in Jerusalem under the shadow of the Jewish temple, and now for these Christians to claim that they are temples themselves, that is anathema. As we studied last week, Saul meets Jesus as he is traveling to Damascus, where he has been dispatched to round up Jesus' people there. He meets Jesus, he goes into the city, and God prepares him to meet this man named Ananias, who is part of the Jesus community there. And let's pick up the narrative in Acts 9, verse 17. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Having met Jesus, Saul meets up with Ananias who witnesses Saul being filled with God's presence. So now Saul has become a temple of God and, and what happens? Let's read verses 19 through 22. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. 
everyone's confused because one second ago, this guy was the number one terrorist against Christians. And now he's saying that what the Christians say is the way. Now he's saying that Jesus is the Messiah. He's adopted the very message of those he was persecuting one second ago. Because in becoming a Jesus person, Saul has become a spirit person. He's become one of the many, many temples extending God's presence into the world. We are spirit people. Who is the church? We are spirit people. And look at what God does with this. Look at how he extends his presence through his new servant, Paul. Let's look at 9, verse 31. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. It also grew in numbers. The church, the collection of Jesus people, the collection of spirit people, has peace because of the work of the Holy Spirit. It becomes stronger, people fear the Lord, and the church grows numerically, all because these Jesus people are the extenders of God's presence, all because these Jesus people are spirit people. We are spirit people. Who is the church? Who are we? We are spirit people. Jesus people are spirit people. We are mini temples, little homes of God's presence, supernaturally extending God's rule, God's reign, and God's presence into our world. We know Saul as the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary our world has ever seen. And it is the Apostle Paul who, as a spirit person, would go on to start and nurture Jesus communities all throughout the Roman Empire. When I look at Saul as a spirit person who extends the presence of Jesus, I think of our house churches all meeting in different homes, in different neighborhoods, in different locales. And I think one of the great advantages to a house church configuration is this opportunity to be spirit people who extend the presence of Jesus into all these different various locales, neighborhoods, vocations, homes. And so after this message wraps up, I just want you to take a few minutes as a house church to talk about how are you as a house church and as individuals extending the presence of Jesus into your spheres of influence, into your neighborhoods, into your locales? How are you being a spirit person extending the presence of God into the places that you go? Now many of you know Bob Turner who is a chaplain at our church. And I thought about Bob because I thought here is a person who in his vocation gets to be a temple who brings the presence of Jesus into each one of the hospital rooms of the patients that he visits. I hopped on with Bob over Zoom this past week. Let's watch. Well, hey, Grace242. I'm here with our very own Bob Turner, who many of you know is a hospital chaplain. Hey, Bob, thanks for jumping on today. As I got to thinking about this idea of us being temples of the Holy Spirit and being extensions of God's presence wherever we go, I thought, well, here's a man in our very own body who does this in his job every day as a chaplain. And so, Bob, I guess I have two questions for you. The first is, what does it mean to be a temple of the Holy Spirit and an extension of God's presence? What does that mean to you? And then how do you apply that as you go into your patient's room each day? Well, thanks, Bill. I really appreciate you asking me about that. And I appreciate it also that I can share this with you from the hospital in the only place where I don't have to wear a mask, which is my office. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. It's good. It's good. And you know, the thing is, when it, whenever I think about the Holy Spirit and, um, you know, the temple that the Holy Spirit resides in, I think about what a difference Jesus makes 
and how he's asked each and every one of us who believe in him have accepted his death and resurrection. Uh, we don't have to go to a temple, but instead uh, we get to abide in him and he gets to abide in us. He's made us part of the family. There's intimacy there. So I'm driven towards the scripture where Jesus said that in John 15. And, and what he says specifically is, uh, this is Jesus talking, abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything. You can do nothing. So I'm aware, um, you know, working in this job, that there are a lot of expectations for professionalism, for competency. And, you know, on all my own, I can be professional and I can be competent, but I'm just aware that I am so limited compared to what God does in and through me. So, you know, if I'm connecting to Jesus and I'm, uh, you know, I'm living in him, he's living in me, then I'm connected to him as the vine. And I, I envision the Holy Spirit kind of like the sap flowing through me. So if there's any good thing that happens in this ministry or any encounter I have, uh, it's because God is working in and through me to produce that fruit. Um, but I got to stay connected with, to him, abiding in him. Um, so, you know, I, I encounter people all the time, patients, staff, visitors, and uh, the, something Paul said actually in Colossians just rings true to me all the time. I put it in my emails. I post it to, you know, around the office. Paul says in Colossians, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of Jesus. So I'm aware when I encounter people that ideally it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about loving them where they're at, whatever they're experiencing, and glorifying God in the midst of that relationship and that conversation, that encounter. Um, so, you know, when I talk with folks, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not looking to preach, but instead, God, give me ears to listen to where they're really coming from. And, and if I'm going to say something, um, you know, if someone's suicidal, Lord, give me the right words to share with them, to let them know that they're not alone. Or if they're at the end of their lives and they're feeling afraid, Lord, give me the words that might help them to know that they're loved, especially now, and, and uh, that they can see the future and be held by you, Lord God, in the midst of their dying moments. Or, or if someone is working incredibly hard and Lord knows the folks that I work with, especially this year, have been working so hard and sometimes they're just worn out and they just need someone to let them know that, that they're cared for, that God cares. I get the privilege of being a tabernacle of God in that moment where I can encounter them and give them the fruit of the abiding Christ who lives in me and whom I represent as an ambassador. And the great thing is, any of us, Bill, can do this at any time, anywhere, with anybody. Because this world is full of people 
who just uh, would love to meet Jesus even if they don't know it. Thank you, Bob. Thank you for reminding us that we are the presence of God in that his Holy Spirit lives in us, but that it's actually Jesus who bestowed that upon us. And so in a way, Jesus extends himself through us, um, that we get to be the presence of Christ to people. Thanks so much, Bob, for taking the time today. Thanks for your answers. God bless, man. Take care. Who are we? Who is the church? We are spirit people. Now I want you to take some time in your house churches to talk about how you are extending the presence of Jesus into your neighborhoods, communities, homes, spheres of influence. See you next time, Grace 242.